Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Marty Smith's America podcast. This is volume 100-something. We have an amazing guest today, somebody that I've long admired and always really wondered about and wanted to chat with, but never had had the opportunity over all these years. And that person is Warwick Dunn, legendary NFL running back with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and with the Atlanta Falcons and All-American at Florida State University. And someone whose name is just synonymous with excellence. And not only is it synonymous with excellence, it's synonymous with kindness. And if you don't know Warwick's story, we get into it a little bit here. Travis and I both agree we're going to have to have Warwick back in the future because he did join us uh, on behalf of Nationwide, who is an amazing sponsor for the NFL Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. And, And Warwick won that award back in 2004 and is inextricably linked with one of the current stars in the NFL. And we'll get into that during the discussion. But I just had so much more I wanted to dive into with Warwick than we had the time for. But y'all are going to really be filled up by just this man's selflessness and his perspective and kind of how all of those things were developed through a horrific moment in his youth. And he could, you know, I always say, I just said this to a friend of mine who's going through something right now uh, the other day. We all face obstacles in this life. We're all flawed in this life. And we have two choices. We can either be bitter or we can be better. And man, uh, Warwick made his siblings' lives better uh, in a way that inspires me so much and it will inspire you guys that much too and from there he just had an amazing career in the game of football and he used that game of football to make countless lives better Uh, y'all are going to be fired up when you hear Warwick speak about that path and trust me you're going to be left wanting more from everything that he had to say I also want to remind you guys to check out The Right Time with Bomani Jones podcast. Download and subscribe to that along with Marty Smith's America wherever you get your podcasts. Here is our conversation on Marty Smith's America with 2004 Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year recipient, Warwick Dunn. Joining us this week on Marty Smith's America on behalf of Nationwide is NFL legend Warwick Dunn, uh, somebody I've admired basically my entire life. He was the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year in 2004. And we'll get to the Man of the Year and what that means to you to achieve that and and to earn that and what it means to your peers to do so, Warwick. But I'd like to get started today with Deshaun Watson. I did a piece about the Habitat for Humanity initiative that Deshaun and his mother uh, were benefactors of back in during his youth. He was nine or so years old. And there was a there was a guy who furnished that entire house and it built a friendship and a brotherhood. So if you would explain to our listeners how you came to know Deshaun and his family. Well, I was playing with the Atlanta Falcons at that time. Um, and I think I met Deshaun when he was 11 years old. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what we do at the charity is that I, we've always uh, – got information on the family, you know, how much money they make, what their situation is. And 
when I learned about his family, I thought they were compelling that this is someone that you definitely want to help support. And not knowing Deshaun uh, as a football player that he is today, but really understanding what his mom's dream was to run around home. And, you know, we wanted to be able to provide that opportunity that she can create that stability for Deshaun and, uh, and his other brothers and sisters. So, um, you know, I'm just thankful over the years. Uh, I had no idea that Deshaun would be, you know, the great football player that he is today, but I, the credit really goes to his mom. She worked hard, she was committed, she put herself in a situation so that Deshaun could live a better life. So I give her all the credit. I mean, it's mad respect for her. And Deshaun has just really just taken his blessings and just advanced them. You know, he's doing what individuals should do. You know, we, we, we pour water on the flower and hope it grows. He, I mean, he's really blossomed into a great young man. He's a wonderful human being. He's someone that I covered extensively when he was at Clemson and, and had such a transcendent career there. And, I got to know him in on a very personal level, and he's someone I admire tremendously as well. I wonder, as somebody who knows the NFL business the way that you do, and it is a business, what your thoughts are on the way the Texans have managed his situation this offseason? Well, it's a two-way street. Uh, I think, you know, what the Texans are trying to do and what they did is they were trying to hire the best individual. You know, as a player, we do have opinions, and we want things a certain way, obviously. <laughs> um, you know, and things don't always work out that way. I mean, when I was with free agent, I was a free agent and I, I didn't want to leave Tampa. I ended up signing with the Atlanta Falcons, leaving Tampa. And, you know, for me, I was kind of bitter in the beginning because you really don't understand. This is a business. Nothing is personal. It is a business. And I just think this is the opportunity for Deshaun to really understand that, hey, you have great football prowess on the football field, your quarterback. They know you're a great leader and so forth, you know, but you have to understand in the front office, they're going to run this also as a business because you have to make money, but you're also trying to figure out ways to put the best product and the best coaches on the sideline and on the, and the product on the field. So for him, it's a balancing act. It's really, do I say how I feel and, and get, you know, uh, some pushback or do I just go along with the, um, with the norms. And I just think he's uh, stepping out a little bit and, and pushing back because he's a winner. He wants to win and you have to give him credit for fighting for that. But it's, this is really a business and just part of the game. You noted uh, being a free agent, not wanting to leave Tampa. Was that the moment that you, you realized it's a business and, and what's when you do realize that work, what's it feel like? Well, let me tell you, I didn't realize it at that moment. It took me probably a year later to, to really understand that this is a business. It was nothing personal. It was a business decision that, that the Buccaneers had to make at the time. I mean, Rich McKay was the general manager. You know, a couple of years later, he comes up to Atlanta with me. So, and, and I told him I was mad with him in the beginning, but I, under, you know, I, I had to learn to understand that it was nothing personal. He was making business decisions, and that's just a part of it. So, you know, it's an opportunity for growth long term that, you know, life has its challenges. You know, what I went through uh, as a kid and, I, and, and what Deshaun has went through as a kid, we have our challenges. And how, how do we respond to adversity says a lot about the individual. You talk about your challenges as a young person. And there might, even though your story is well chronicled, your book back in 2008 is phenomenal. If you guys have not seen Warwick's book, please go get it. 
uh, it, it's an, uh, just an unbelievable story. If yeah. you could just share the uh, synopsis of what you went through and you talk about growing up fast guys, <laughs> I don't know anybody in my, who I've ever heard had to grow up faster than Warwick did. Just, just explain it to us, for, please. Well, yeah, I was a uh, senior in high school, two days after my 18th birthday, my mom was ambushed. She was shot and killed in the line of duty. She was a Baton Rouge City police officer and she was working overtime, trying to make extra money. Uh, and they were making a routine night deposit. Her and the grocery store manager was making a routine night deposit at the bank. And, you know, two guys opened fire, opened fire on a police car. My mom was shot and she was killed. Um, you know, my life changed. I was the oldest, the six of us. I'm the oldest of six, 18 years old. So now my responsibility really comes down to I have to take care of my five younger brothers and sisters. And that's really been my... Uh, my drive, my push, you know, and, and I had to raise those individuals. But, you know, the reason that I started the charity, I started the program Homes for Holidays, the reason that, you know, I won Walter Payton the Man of the Year is because of what I went through. My mom's dream of home ownership and that program it has so far today, we've been around for 23 years and we've helped 100 and 88 single parent families who are becoming first time homeowners. And that's given a $5,000 down payment, but also fully furnished their homes with food, furniture, linens, garden, garden tools, TVs, computers, all the way down to the toothbrush. So we figured out that we can help individuals have a true fresh start to home ownership. They won't go back into debt. They have a better uh, opportunity for success down the road. And, you know, so far it's, uh, it's been a positive program and, I can tell you, I wouldn't be where I'm at today without that program. I wouldn't have won a Walter Payton Man of the Year award. I wouldn't partner with Nationwide. You know, Nation, you know, they're, they're trying to do a great job. And they are doing a great job of really promoting, you know, what guys do off the field. Really talking about the things that are in the community, how NFL players are, are making positive change in their community. And they've invested a, a million, uh, three in the community, but also, you know, guys have opportunity when they get nominated, you know, they get $40,000. The winner gets $250,000 if they win, but they're also spreading out. They're promoting this more. They're trying to create more opportunities for guys to really tell their story, but also impact their communities in ways that could potentially be life changing. So uh, for me, you know, I'm just, I'm happy that I was able to be a part of this elite group of individuals. You know, this is the highest award you can win with the National Football League, and I'm just happy that I'm a part of that elite group of individuals. Why is it the highest award that you can win? Well, if you if you think about it, you know, you want great athletes who, who play well on the field, but you also want guys who, you know, they're not just great athletes, but they're great human beings. They care about their community. And, you know, a lot of guys that you see winning win this award they are, they're great athletes, but they're great humanitarians. They care about their community. They're making such an impact that it's life-changing. It's not just in that moment, but potentially long-term. And, you know, you have guys who don't just care about the game of football. You have guys who care about people and life. And for me, that's important. And it's a great reason why Nationwide is supporting it. And they're behind it. They're promoting it. They're backing it. And, and you know, we the NFL couldn't have a prouder partner, in my opinion, it, you know, with Nationwide, because this is the most, like I said, prestigious award that a player can win. It, offensive Player of the Year award, 
you know, you're successful because the guys around you, you know, you, it's not just you as an individual. You know, when you win the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award through Nationwide, you know, it's what you do in your community. And yes, it takes a community to help you move forward, but who has to start that path? You have to go around it. You have to, you know, drive other individuals, build relationships. So it's a lot that goes into really establishing yourself and making that impact. I'm fascinated. If we could go back for a minute to, to going to Florida State, playing for Bobby Bowden. I mean, the, the, one of the most dominant eras for a program in the history of the sport, the whole thing, right? Yeah. How do you raise five siblings <laughs> while you're managing school and, and, and football? That, I mean, that's two full – school and football are two full-time jobs by itself. Yeah. I got three kids. I can't even – do. I can't imagine – how did, how did you do that? Well, you, you have a lot of support, right? Uh, my grandmother. So when I left and went to Tallahassee, the, uh, the kids, my grandmother moved in. So she was managing the house on the day to day, you know. So but every every holiday, every weekend that I was free, I was on the highway driving back to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I was always I was constantly involved. I didn't spend a summer in Tallahassee. I mean, I didn't party. I didn't drink, do anything. I, I mean, it was about football, you know, school, football, family. And it was really about family, school, and football. And believe it or not, I had great support from Coach Bowden. I used to go to his office once a week almost and really just talk to him about, you know, Coach, this is the situation I have with my sister. You know, can you give me an example? He, he would give me like real life examples of what he did with his kids. So he was an outlet for me to have, but I can't say I did it alone, right? I mean, I had a lot of support. People understood the situation. Uh, probably, probably the hardest that I had was when I got drafted and went to Tampa. I was just rookie of the year. The next year, the three youngest ones moved in with me in Tampa. I'm trying to play professional football, and now I'm going to PTA meetings, attending games on weekend, making sure they do chores, their homework. So – it was uh, it was a stressful time, and Coach Dungey, his, his him and his wife supported me, and uh, Rich McKay. They all supported me because they understood what was important to me. And um, again, you know, nationwide understands what's really important. Uh, you know, to make change in, in people's lives, and, and that's really to support the guys in the National Football League for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. All right, I know you got to hop. I got one more thing because I was so moved by this. Just one more question. Yes. Warwick, I was floored by you going to meet the individuals that murdered your mom. Right. I was, I, I, was, I was completely floored that it was something that you needed to do for your own solace mm -hmm. and, and to free your own soul to forgive them. Why was that important to you? Well, you know, I lost my mom in, in uh, 1993. And I didn't start going to counseling until I moved to Atlanta in 2003. So just like 10 years of no grieving, no crying. And I had a lot built up on the inside. You know, if you'd have met me during that time, you would say I never talked to anybody. I didn't smile. I wasn't living a life. I was just coasting. Mm -hmm. For me, I was doing what I had to do as a, I felt like I was not a brother, but a parent to my younger brothers and sisters. And through counseling, I got to the point where I had a, started having a lot of questions. I was able to express myself, and I needed to know why. I kept asking why, 
Why? Why? So I just got to the point where I asked my counselor, do you think it's okay if it's a good idea if I really want to meet with the guys who, who did that and ask them why? And I, I wanted an answer. She thought I was in a really good place to do that. So we set it up and I went to Angola prison, sat down face to face with the guy and he wasn't behind bars. We sat at a round table. I sat across from, from him and he was there. And you know, I was searching for peace in my life. And you know, the only way to get that is you go to the source. And so I was looking for peace. And the warden was crazy because the warden told me he's not going to admit to doing anything wrong. This and that. And I said, okay. So that's the first thing he said to me when I sat down at the table that I didn't do it. You know, it was strange because he can tell me everything, you know, that what that was happening to my family. What I did as a football player, what my brother was doing in college, my sister was running track. You know, he kept with kept up with everybody. And that was strange to me. But I told him I forgave him. And that I was here to say that I forgive you. I want to take that power that he had over my life back so that I can move on and so that I can, you know, be free, live my life. I didn't want to have kids. I never, you know, I couldn't tell you the last time I really expressed myself about, you know, wanting to have a future, wanting to have my own kids, a relationship. I was scared to hold another woman's hand. I just didn't feel comfortable because. You know, my mom was my best friend. And when you lose that at an early age, you know, I lost, I, lo I felt like I lost my world. So, you know, it's a journey. And I just had to get to that point where I wanted to uh, be free of, uh, be free of that and take that power back. So that was my journey. And I was, I know I talked about that in the first chapter of the book, but, mm -hmm. you know, and the book came out in 2008 during President, you know, Obama's uh, being elected president. So it I sold a number. It was number one seller in that category. But because all the presidential books was out that year, <laughs> you know, I got lost in the shuffle. But, um, you know, it's, the book has done really well. People, um, they connect with it. Y'all make sure you go get it. I know you're on the run. That's a story of your life, isn't it, brother? Well, um, always, man. Thank you so much for your time. You're a light in the world. Appreciate your work and help with the NFL Man of the Year. And uh, Nationwide's fortunate to have you as an ambassador. So take care. Enjoy the Super Bowl. I know you're going to say go Bucks. We'll see who wins it. Take care, brother. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on, man. I remember doing a story about Deshaun Watson the first day I ever met Deshaun. Uh, it was Deshaun's freshman year at Clemson, I think. And I went down to South Carolina and did a feature on the fact that Dabo Sweeney and Deshaun Watson and Wayne Gallman and all those guys were, you know, that are in, uh, Hunter Renfro are that are that are NFL stars now. We're building Habitat for Humanity, a Habitat for Humanity home down near Clemson. And I go down there and I chat with Dabo about the initiative, and I chat with Deshaun about what it meant to him to come full circle in that way because to, to our, our conversation with Warwick there, Deshaun's mom, what, I mean, what a hero. What a hero. She was working so hard to get her family a better life. And she saw a path and an avenue through Habitat for Humanity to give her children a better life. Their own roof 
in their own house in a moment when they were so impressionable. I think Deshaun was nine years old. I think Warwick said there he was 11 when they met. So it was somewhere around that time, a boy. And that boy then had someone he could look at as an example in Warwick Dunn that, okay, to whom much is given, much is required. And, and Warwick furnished that house all the way down to the last gallon of milk, like I said there while I was chatting with Warwick. And I just find that story to be so fabulous. And I always have ever since I met Deshaun. And I got to know his mom, Deanne, as well. And she's just an amazing human being. And Deshaun makes no bones about it that he's a mama's boy. And uh, I have seen it in person. Uh, every single time that she's in the stadium, he's finding her. And he champions his mama and the sacrifices that she made to make sure that, you know, an, an impoverished childhood became a fulfilled childhood. I just think it's wonderful. Everything about it's wonderful. What I love is Deshaun got this gift and work was just helping out a family. He didn't, you know, and then Deshaun ends up being this person. So now Deshaun is now in the same position that work was mm -hmm. to pay it forward and is doing that. And I don't think you can find one bad thing that I, I don't think I've ever heard of a reporter person say one bad thing about Deshaun. He well, is, you can't. he's class personified. It is, it is amazing the things that he's doing and that's why like I feel bad for him right now with this Texans mess because it's it's not his doing yeah he did not his doing he did and nothing wrong he simply had an owner lie to him he gave back so much to that he 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 loves the Houston community they embraced him and they loved him from the jump and one reason that they love him is because he is such a light in the world and the other reason they love him is he's a bad man behind center and he has been swimming upstream and i heard it myself when jj watts said it walking off the field in the season finale in 2020 i am so sorry these are jj watts words i am so sorry we wasted one of your years of your career and that tells you all you need to know. That, yeah, and that's very powerful because that's that's JJ Watt apologizing. That's that's not a first like, ballot Hall of Famer, dude. That's, that's a, a three-time defensive NFL MVP apologizing to a like it's not like some just random you know offensive lineman. This is a stud in his own right, and like I said, a Hall of Famer apologizing to Deshaun Watson. And not only all the success on the field for J.J. Watt. As you recall, in 2017, he too was the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year. If you remember what he did after that flood, after Hurricane Harvey, he raised more than $40 million for the Houston community. So this is a guy that is an absolute legend and beloved, beloved in Houston, saying that to another guy, a young buck, who is beloved in Houston. And I feel I feel awful for Deshaun, too. I mean, you know my relationship with him, and you know – I mean, that is my guy. And I want the absolute best for him. And I said earlier uh, this month on Twitter, I said, holy cow, dude, if, if, if Deshaun Watson comes to Charlotte, North Carolina, they'll run it. They won't – they can't print enough gear. It would be the – it would be the greatest thing. And we – look, we love Teddy Two Gloves, but Deshaun's Deshaun. You must be a dysfunctional franchise if 
JJ Watt and Deshaun Watson want out. I, f- I feel bad. I mean, those two guys are just amazing guys. And you're right, though. Wherever he goes, however many jerseys they print, they're going to sell those and they're going to have back orders. Yep. Yep. It's going to be uh... – I mean, it's uh, I just I can't wait to see where he ends up. Whether whether he ends up in Houston, could you imagine up- if they got if uh, the Panthers were able to get Deshaun and not have to trade away Christian McCaffrey? Uh, it would be the. I mean, look, man, Cam Newton. Uh, look, when we had Cam Newton in his absolute Optimus Prime days, uh, it felt really special around here. And if we got if we got DW four and had CMC, look out, man! Look out! It'll be fun, but I can't wait to see where Deshaun ends up. Thank you so much to Warwick for taking time and, and sharing his life with us again. I, 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 my hope, honestly, is that you guys listening. My hope is that y'all go. My gosh, I want more of that because we certainly did, and. Uh, we're going to try to get him back on again because I just want to dive so much deeper into it. But, hey, look, Warwick was really busy. He was doing appearance yeah, so we did, after appearance we did after this, appearance for Nationwide. Yeah, we did this uh, the week of going into the Super, Super Bowl. Bowl. And yeah. so he had a ton of interviews, and it was so good. And we had some other things pop up. And we're like, let's hold off on airing this because it's it's too good to put it with another interview. And while it was one of our shorter interviews, pound for pound, it might have been our best interview and so uh, the people at Nationwide are going to be getting some emails from me here in a, a few weeks to say, hey, anyway, we can circle back and uh, go a little longer with work because, I mean, the things that you could talk to him about is, is career on the field. Off, I mean, he's just an amazing person. Really is. And I'm really grateful for him. And, and I'm a better man for having had that few minutes chatting with him. Shout out a thank you to our boy Jarrett Dunbar over there at Nationwide who always gives, speaking of Cam Newton, uh, they gave uh, Nationwide set up our opportunity to chat with Cam a couple years ago, uh, and they've given us great guests ever since they've been the title sponsor of the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year Award. So thank you so much to those guys, and thanks to Warwick. Speaking of great people, Michael McDowell is the Daytona 500 champion. Uh, Travis, let's get into NASCAR for just a minute here. Um that is a very popular win in the NASCAR community because Michael is a wonderful guy, a man of great faith who professes his faith and is one of those guys who's always there for others. He always has been. I mean, this guy has been grinding for 15 years in the Cup Series trying to get that first career win. And I I remember being at Texas Motor Speedway many moons ago when Michael drove that double zero car down into the corner and went ass over tea kettle about 45 times. He hit the wall so hard. I mean, look, you know, Ryan McGee, our brother did an amazing job uh, leading up to the Daytona 500 on all of the reporting on the safety initiatives since Dale Earnhardt died. His piece on E60 was fabulous. And uh, Michael McDowell is one of those guys that's alive uh, because of all of the safety initiatives in the aftermath of February 18, 2001. And now Michael McDowell wins the Daytona 500. And I thought it was so cool that Denny Hamlin went on social media and said, don't y'all go thinking for one second that that was a flukish victory, that he didn't deserve that victory. And Denny is so right. I was going to write the same thing last night. That, that group, Front Row Motorsports, owned by Bob Jenkins, they are like always up front at the end of plate races. David Reagan won a plate race in one of their cars. 
they have always been up front at these kinds of races. And McDowell is always there and just waiting on the opportunity to capitalize. And I'm so happy for him that that, that happened in the Daytona 500, the great American race. Uh, wow. I mean, just a really emotional, uber popular win in the NASCAR community. I'm thrilled for him. Um, so this I'm, was, this was I'm his so first glad win. That, yeah, this was his, it first, is his first win. So what does win. a win like to make this your first? What does just getting that one win do for someone? It's validation for Michael because, again, he's been around a really long time. And he's one of these guys that is, has such an open heart to being a great person and, and, and slogged along over all these years, man, and – and just been kind to others. And so I think in a lot of, I think in a, a lot of ways, I, I can't wait to hear him download on this. It's really hard to be interviewed right after you do something like that because you haven't processed yet what it really means to you. But in, in my estimation, just as somebody that's known Michael now for 15 years plus, I would imagine that the first thing is he gave it to God because of his faith. And he's so grateful that the Lord returned that faithfulness this way. And I'm not trying to get all preachy or anything here, but I, I know how Michael operates and it's his faith first. And so I, I'm pretty sure that's probably where it went. It then probably went to his family next because he's an awesome family man, a great dad, an amazing husband, and, and to Bob Jenkins, his car owner, and to, to Love's Travel Centers. We, hey, at Marty Smith's America, we love us some Love's Travel Centers, y'all, because that's where the Smith family stops every chance we get. And so how apropos is it that he – that the Love's Travel Center car won on Valentine's Day. I, uh, I knew that it was going to be a well-received win when after the race, Joey Logano, who was in just a crazy accident that crashed that we can get into in a second. But one of the things he said is, if it wasn't me or my teammates, I'm happy yeah, it was and, him. And Joey went to victory lane too. Joey went to victory lane so that he could give, he could give uh, Michael a huge hug. And, and I want to say one other thing too. I thought that the Fox booth, all of the all of the talent at Fox, all the producers, everybody involved, but and the on-air talent, but Clint Boyer's injection into the equation for Fox Sports is a brilliant injection into their overall scope of their NASCAR coverage, and it's the same. It's the like Dale Jr.'s popularity is it's is its own barometer. Because people, Dale Jr.'s fans will watch anything he does because he's Dale Jr. But the number one best thing that Dale Jr. brings to NBC is passion and energy. Unbridled. And that's exactly what Clint did for Fox on Sunday on a marathon day. I've lived those days. Those days are awful. I don't and know how they they did. I mean, I turned away and watched other things and go back and – you know, there's Shannon Spake doing stuff. There's, I mean, th that was an all-day event for those oh, guys. Look, no doubt, and I've lived it, and it's not fun. And and it's just, it's it's not fun. And 
I just I thought that Clint was very good. Also, shout out to our boy Tom Rinaldi again. He did an amazing piece with Ryan Newman, and it was weird as hell to see Tom doing NASCAR. And I had an amazing text exchange with Tom throughout the entire day about that. And 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 he's just an amazing talent. He's an amazing talent. And um, again, uh, uh, I want to make sure that that if you guys have not seen McGee's piece on Dale Earnhardt, make sure you go find it. Very, very, very well done. Very thorough. Um, just it's, a really good day, ultimately a really good day for NASCAR and a really trying day. But uh, I'm thrilled for them that they got the Daytona 500 in. They'll turn right back around and go back to Daytona to run a road course. One of the funniest things of the day didn't happen. It happened in a car, but not uh, on the track. Did you see Chase Briscoe? Oh, yeah, dude. He's crazy. I wouldn't have gone to the Panda Express if I had to strap back into <laughs> so, the car. Hopefully, the, he stopped by. The, hopefully, he stopped and got some toilet paper, too. So, for people not uh, that see it, his wife tweeted out a photo. He's still in his fire suit going through Panda Express to get some food. And I get that you're going to be hungry and you know you got some time. But I don't know if Panda Express is the right one to go with. Yeah, man, that was a that was a that was gutsy, man. I mean, that's you know you you are gambling. That is a big gamble, man. And uh, hopefully, hopefully, if he did gamble, he won. That's all I got to say. What do uh, what do the drivers do during rain delay? Do they try to get a nap? Like, what's the what do they just sit there? Like, what are they? I think it's it differs for every guy. Uh, I mean, everybody has a different protocol. But I think if they could get a nap, they would. I don't know that I'd be able to because I'm sure that their minds are constantly spinning with strategy and thinking about what their car did over that 15 laps, how it felt. Okay, when we get there, they're, they're meeting with their crew chief, they're meeting with their car chief, they're meeting with their engineer. Okay, this is what I felt we need to improve this. When we get back and can go touch the race car again, that's one thing that you know, I was going back and forth with Kenny Main last night about when the, when, the, when the race did go back to yellow, Kenny was laughing. I had a long conversation with Kenny on the phone. I'm like, dude, they can't touch the car. Until they display the yellow flag, they just have to sit there and stare at it, no matter how tore up it is. And then they display the yellow flag, and the guys like it's like a it's like a bunch of ants, man. It's, it's like Black Friday hit. at a, it's like Black Friday at the mall. It's just they just go like they had all their tools and everything literally right next to the car, and they were ready like in position for that flag to go yellow. Yeah, man, saws alls unite, but. Um, ultimately, man, uh, amazing day for, for Michael McDowell and Front Row Motorsports. Thrilled for those guys. What an, um, I mean, I can't imagine what that means to that organization because they have been committed to the sport for so long. Ford Motor Company has been committed to them for so long, and now they roll that thing into victory lane. I mean, it didn't even look like it had a scratch on it. It was the only, the only car there, I think, that got away without at least yeah, a scratch. Yeah, it's funny. I, before the race, I put out who y'all picking, and I've said, I'm going with Ryan Blaney. I, this is the year. 15 laps into the thing. He had it missed, too. Blaney had it missed. And he made it then through. he got put down in the grass and you, with, with, with the splitter on the thing, and you, you got no chance. I mean, when that splitter hits the grass, it's like a bomb explodes under the hood, and it just tore the whole front end off that thing, and he was done. He almost missed it. Uh, Denny Hamlin, again, the standard at this point in plate races. Uh, dominated that race, dominated the race. And I thought Bubba Wallace, too. I, I said it uh, on a couple of radio shows this week. I knew Bubba would have a have the opportunity to win that race because Bubba's a great plate racer. 
really – I'm still calling it plate racing. I think those of us who are old school will always call it that. There are no more restrictor plates, but it's still that kind of racing. He's great at it. Really, really talented at it. And now he's got a piece that can – you know, that he can drive to victory lane. And so uh, – some more NASCAR lingo. A piece is a car. He's got a car that he can drive to victory lane and, and will – and will uh, I did find it interesting on a pre-race show when Michael Strahan interviewed MJ and Denny and Bubba. MJ said, "I feel like he can get a couple wins this year." Man, it's hard as hell to win in Cup. That's all I got to say. I'm not saying he can't. I'm saying like Denny needs to call up MJ and go, "Bro, look, I if if we if we finish if we make the chase, if we make the playoffs, that's a that's, like let's just." pump the brakes on all the wins right now yeah i found that really interesting that i wonder how mj is going to be able to handle being a team owner and managing expectations because this this is a sport where you can be great and then one little thing happens that's out of your control you know like you said with blaney like things just happen this is a sport and so it's it's very tough as you know we saw here, getting your first win it's it's not an easy thing to get into victory lane no it's uh, not only is it not easy it's very very difficult and i think they do have the opportunity to do it uh, bubba's a really good driver at daytona and talladega he is a really good driver at martinsville speedway so i think they're going to have the opportunity to do it um so nascar is off and running it's cool Thank y'all for listening. We appreciate it. Appreciate y'all. Uh, also, it pumped us up that we got a shout-out from uh, Barrett Sports Media that we were one of the top podcasts as as voted by our peers, I think, Travis. Yeah, it's by the peers. I, you know, I'll take it. Me too, man. I'm very grateful for that. It means the world to me. So thank you guys for – for listening and for subscribing, rating and reviewing. It matters a lot. It matters to our sponsors whom you heard about already. So just thank you guys for, for caring. And one um, request I have also, if, if they can subscribe, rate and review, awesome. And then if they could go, if they go a step further and tell a friend, because that's how, that's how these podcasts grow is, you know, we can tell you to do this and other podcasts can mention us, but it, it's word of mouth. It's kind of like when you, you watch a show on Netflix and you tell somebody about it. So that's, you know, if you can tell somebody else about the podcast, that'd be awesome. Basically pretend we're the Tiger King. <laughs> I mean, thanks so much to you're pretty close to it. <laughs> thanks so much to our law enforcement officials all over the country working hard to keep these communities tiger. safe. Thank you for for our fire and rescue teams, our first responders, and I'm so grateful for the United States military. Thank you guys for your sacrifice. We live in the greatest nation, and I'm so grateful to live in a country where I can go and do and be whatever I feel like, whatever I aspire to be. Y'all be good. Have an awesome week. We'll see you next time around. This is Marty Smith's America.